Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today, I'm excited to interview James Shear. A driven and analytical leader, James has over 20 years of experience continually developing a strong, ongoing relationship with influencers within any organization. He guides proven sales and marketing tool implementation with businesses that have been heavily impacted by rapid growth, change, or crisis. As a decisive and fact-minded executive, James consistently increases project and process function effectiveness by aligning unique attributes of the technology, healthcare, retail, and entertainment industries. James earned an MBA in entrepreneurship from Belmont University, and he currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife and their two daughters. Today, we'll talk a lot about the incredible work that James is doing for Keller Schrader, so I hope you enjoy the show. James, welcome to the show today. Hey, how are you, Rebecca? Life is good. It's great to see you. Thanks for visiting us from Nashville. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. We were talking earlier while we were preparing for the show about how we met, and it was very much like random networking passing. I want to say maybe at the Entrepreneur Center as well. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, I, yeah, it was actually the um, the 3686 conference. Um, that they used to have uh, before COVID. And we met at the, uh, I think it was the Bongo Java in the Omni Hotel because there was like a bunch of people that were there for business wise and just kind of, you know, small business and entrepreneurs trying to find, you know, context in their businesses. And so I think we both had multiple meetings there that day. So, yes, love it. Mm -hmm. So is the entrepreneur context. And in true networking fashion, we've stayed in touch through different careers, different Mm -hmm. adventures, different states. So I love that we're now here having this conversation of what your journey's been and how it's led to you to where you're at today. Um, So right now you are managing sales and biz dev for Keller Schrader and would love to chat more about your experiences there and how you're impacting customers' business really with the idea of what does digital transformation mean within the context of what you guys are able to do for your customers. Okay. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Let's do it. So let's chat about maybe some, some use cases of what you guys are able to do within your industry. I know it's a lot of data and analytics. Where do you guys start with your customer to really help them understand how their business can be impacted by what you guys are working on? Um, I think a lot of it starts with uh, with the discovery call, um, as you okay. would call it. Um, you know, sitting down with them and even understanding from if it's a data strategy need, because for us that's uh, a relatively new service over the last two or three years. It's been profitable. Um, we also look at you know the other services that we offer in the security realm, um, in the infrastructure realm, and whether or not um, at this point you know, I was thinking about this before we talked is, you know, a lot of services in the transformation realm are, are going to be cost saving services because you have such a constraint in the supply chain right now that it's really hard to bring about, you know, products and services um, that are going to uh, promote money at this point. So for us, you know, looking at digital transformation as a way to reduce costs, reduce lost time, uh, recycle some of the stuff that uh, companies are losing, and uh, really, you know, doing science and math to, to do better things for our clients. Well, no, this is all great. And I think what's really helping you guys to accelerate your success is verticalization as well. So from what I understand, you found a niche within like manufacturing and power and mm-hmm. utilities. Can you give us some examples of 
of the pain those folks are seeing, especially like you mentioned with the supply chain as it is and how you're inserting yourself to solve those problems? Um, You know, we have some projects that are in line uh, with local plants and, you know, that are utilities, whether it's gas, uh, electric, whether it's uh, aluminum. And some of the things we look at is, you know, really kind of being like a staff augmentated um, reporting analytics arm for some of those companies where they are saying, okay, we have some use case that we're doing. We need some portfolio management. Um, How can you help us? Or we have some analytics around like our recycling needs, our scrap needs. How can you help us um, understand a better way to use what we are losing in order to to save money? Um, We also look at the opportunity for, you know, some power BI, uh, some SQL um, reporting analytics. Uh, And also, you know, I think the biggest pain point is, is like I said, you know, when you offer a service, uh, one of the things we talk about is, you know, it's such a protracted um, experience for some emergency responses in the utilities world, whether it's gas, electric. And, you know, one thing that we can do is we can actually reduce the time frame between the initial call for the emergency or the outage uh, to the time that it's resolved uh, by basically looking at, okay, you have, you know, these six or seven steps. What can we do from an analytic standpoint to drop those steps to three or four, uh, maybe move it to something that's, you know, more mobile, more agile, and is going to reduce the time frame that people are, are waiting for, for their service to be restored. So, and plus that also helps um, the, the, uh, the client that we work with um, help have a better service and keep customers happy. So it's, it's a win-win for both the customer and their customer. So is there an element of maybe human error that's reduced by introducing more visibility into the data as well? Um, I believe so because, um, you know, right now you're talking about some of these people are having to call in, um, outages or call in emergencies. Uh, there may be a, a mix up in the, uh, language that is being used, uh, there might be an issue with uh, a language barrier. Uh, so when people are automatically being able to edit and add the information directly into a mobile app or directly into a um, indirectly into the to the website if they have access to it, um, then they're able to kind of cut down on the the error that they're going to be possibly uh, constrained by. So that's good. I would think in a lot of these cases, it's the first time there's been an awareness of the data, correct? Yes. And you guys are saying, hey, measure and monitor these other aspects of your business to get a different outcome. Uh, Yes. I mean, most of the people that we have uh, brought in as employee owners of Keller Schrader uh, have come from uh, other companies that have used data analytics to be successful. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not just us, you know, inventing the wheel to say, or reinventing the wheel of data strategy for our company. We're actually bringing people with, you know, practical real world based knowledge into our, into our company to, um, you know, make things better for our clients. So. And ultimately, yeah, their customers get to benefit as well. I love the, the emergency situations. We had talked about a use case in a gas emergency Mm -hmm. and how you can reduce the steps, reduce error, and I think really bring stress relief to this situation. Mm. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is there a little bit more around the impact that that study had that you um, 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, it's a situation where it's a, a series of disconnected steps uh, in the business process. And by using some data to um, highlight where there are um, discrepancies in that business process, you can make it more streamlined. So almost making it more uh, like a project management process where you're, you know, you're able to get the research, uh, the design, the planning and the coordination and evaluation all down to a very finite point where it's, it's super streamlined uh, as opposed to having these hiccups that we had just talked about with, you know, errors here, errors in the research, errors in the design. Um, you know, you're using people who are, you know, scientists and architects and engineers to really, um, almost, you know, reformulate processes that have been in place for years and to make them more, um, more useful for our clients. So. As I say in that industry, is there hesitation or maybe a feeling of threat to some folks that like, we've kind of always done it this way. This is how things work. It's big machinery. It's expensive. I'm sure. Yeah. And now introducing technology to it. Do you, realize sometimes some hesitation, some just uh, a little bit of a concern maybe of what this data and this yeah. AI will do to the um, I think um, when you talk about like stuff like using artificial intelligence, machine learning to really um, take away the human aspect, I feel like obviously people feel like, you know, job security is a big issue uh, for certain people that are involved in streamlining the business process. Uh, I feel like you are in a situation also where uh, some of these services that are kind of set in stone with their business model or their business process are are always hesitant to change. Um, But ultimately, you're looking at it as, you know, we're trying to help you do your job better and we're trying to uh, alleviate some of your pain points, which in turn alleviate the customer's pain points. So um, it's, it's helpful to really kind of step back and say, you know, to the client, you know, Hey, I know this is a really long uh, procurement cycle. I know this is a really long um, implementation and migration cycle, but in the long run, it's either going to a save you money or B it's going to make your customers happier. And hopefully it's a, you know, A and B. So, yeah. Yeah, sometimes the, I think, make customers happier is harder to quantify. Mm-hmm. So when you you make it make sense financially, and then they get the added bonus of their customers are like, where has this been all of our lives? Yeah. Then yeah. You're, you're lifelong partners, and then you have yeah. something to, to build upon. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee a future in other industries and verticals being able to, you know, be applicable to what you guys are doing? I mean, we work with uh, some other... Um some other companies currently that are in, you know, in the manufacturing world uh, that are in the pharmaceutical world. Uh, We've had conversations with people obviously in, you know, healthcare world, um, you know, FinTech financial. Um, So we do have, you know, six or seven current use case studies, uh, white paper clients that we can use that are across two or three industries. So you know, our hope is, you know, using the data strategy uh, arm of Keller Schrader allows us to not only uh, solidify relationships we already have um, that are, you know, maybe strictly infrastructure relationships or application relationships, uh, but allow us to, to be trusted advisors and really offer, you know, something else that can, that can help the client, so. Very cool. I like it. 
and your background has been, you know, heavily sales project mm-hmm. management. Yep. So I'm sure all of that led you to being a good fit for this current role, but stepping back to what your sales process, your project management process and what that um, evolution of really how you go to market and how you approach your role now, what has that looked like? And what have been some of the, the key influences to really develop and, and hone that craft to be successful? Um, I think to be, you know, successful in, in sales, it, it really is a project, you know, process. Um, you know, I've worked with some people um, in Nashville who, you know, look at the customer life cycle as uh, not only sales, but, you know, marketing to sales to customer success uh, and doing everything from uh, defining what your uh, defining what your your leads are going to be, defining who you're going after, to n- creating that uh, that content, to you know nurturing the relationship, to eventually closing the deal, and and then you know hopefully getting some cross sales in there and some referrals that lead you to other businesses. Um, I have found the most success uh, really in, in networking, you know, kind of like we talked mm-hmm. about at the beginning uh, of the show. Um, yeah, how we met um, and really looking at it as people are going to do business with people who are referred to them, who have, like I talked about earlier, being we're trusted advisors with our company, you know, trust us, um, have that rapport, have that camaraderie. And so I look at the sales process as almost a project process of, you know, five or six steps really to to, you know, audit what I do as a salesperson and a, and a marketer and, um, you know, kind of, you know, use lead generation, use technology, um, you know, always kind of looking at my sales pipeline, my sales performance and, and managing myself before anybody else has to manage me. So. Mm-hmm. So is there data that you track and manage? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like to use, um, you know, a couple of different, you know, vendor partners in the CRM space to track not only my personal connectors and my personal network, but also our own um, internal Keller Schrader prospects and clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So I use two different CRMs to really keep track of things. Um, You know, we we use lists, we use opportunities uh, on one. On the other one, I'm basically just tracking networking relationships and networking conversations. So, yeah, well, that's good. What about social selling and and the future of of that? Do you see value Um, there? Do you think it it needs to still stay pretty human? (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously, um, you know, some of the things I talk about with people in Nashville is, you know, ways to build cadence uh, around the communication uh, of the sales process. Uh, whether it's, you know, taking a couple visits on LinkedIn to people's um, profiles to really understand what they're doing now, what their background is, uh, what they have to offer to you as, you know, just a person, you know, like it's not always about the sales call. Uh, And then after LinkedIn, you know, pick up the phone, making a call. I mean, everybody uses email nowadays, uh, Twitter, you know, Facebook, you know, um, virtual opportunities like, you know, WebEx, Zoom, um, other opportunities out there. And, you know, we really have to, I think, pick up the phone and calling is is the way to go, you know, and really trying to get a hold of somebody. And then, you know, follow up with an email. So that way, you know, you've had like two or three touch points that they can see or hear before you send them an email, because 
in my personal opinion, they're not always like reading emails and, um, you know, sometimes it just helps pick up the phone. So. Mm-hmm. Well, especially as people are using it less and less, it's actually more and more effective in the fact that people are relying more on other channels. And mm-hmm. now you're, you're actually the more innovative outside of the box person. If you just make the phone call yeah. instead of all these other creative ways, which I find very interesting. Yeah. And completely like, I agree with you, Rebecca, like it's, Sometimes, you know, people just want to hear somebody on the phone and not have to worry about a a virtual meet or a virtual uh, email or whatever. So sometimes it's nice to just not be on video too. (laughs) when you live on it all day, every day. Yeah. And people then are like, well, you know, it's, you know, that you get Zoom calls going on and people are like, well, you need to show your profile. Like, I don't think you want to see me with bad hair and my ratty t-shirt, you know, or something like that. So I think people are always kind of more self-conscious when it comes to having to be on video. So my favorite's when they turn their video on while they're driving somewhere, it's just mm-hmm. like, please, no, please, please don't die. Please don't die. Yeah. I really don't want to watch mm-hmm. how this could go bad really, really fast, but, yep. Yep. Uh, but back on the, you know, manufacturing use cases around mm-hmm. data and analytics, I was reminded of one project that I was able to do when I was basically in the services space. And it was actually really neat with a large theme park that won't be named, but mm-hmm. there's not that many of them. So you could probably guess which one. Yeah. Um, they were able to monitor trash levels in the park and cue basically whoever was picking up the trash on the appropriate route based on the fullness of the trash Mm -hmm. so that they were optimizing this person's workflow and they weren't getting in a situation where there was a trash can overflowing and people complaining about that or just the tackiness of that Mm -hmm. it was really cool to add a device and have all these analytics and this reporting served up to be like hey this part of the park super busy trash is overflowing need to prioritize get over there fast and clean it up yeah. and then maybe this other area like don't waste your time on foot over there until mm-hmm. tomorrow yeah and so there's different things that like to our point earlier it's the first time people are actually paying attention to the data and trying to make a story out of it that can be customer oriented which was the case in this scenario because I mean, if I walk by an overflowing trash can and I have something to throw away, I'm frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't throw this. Or if like, especially like if you were like at a gas station, mm-hmm. um, you know, trash, you know, builds up and, um, you know, from my retail background, you know, I've been in the convenience store world and that would have been super helpful because you always know which trash cans are going to be. If you're visiting a site and you're talking to the general manager, you always know which trash cans are always going to be the fullest. It's always the ones on the end of the, the pumps. Because everybody always pulls up to the end. Nobody pulls into the really into the middle. So um, I mean, that's that's an excellent example, Rebecca, of like where you know something like that would be helpful because you could probably cut down on time spent changing trash, which is outside of the location, uh, which obviously you know creates uh, a security hazard uh, when people are driving around. It also creates you know less trash bag usage, which could reduce the cost for a company. So. Yep. Man, I'd love if they would do it around the city. (laughs) It'd be awesome. Um, But my thought around that is like, you know, they've built this solution to get that far, but what's the next step? Like everybody's dreaming about NFTs in the metaverse, Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's like, we can even make trash management better and 
people don't sit around and think about these problems enough. So in your experience being in that space, what are maybe some technology trends and applications that people aren't thinking about that like could go a step further to be a game changer that aren't like, let's go to the moon or let's go to the metaverse? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I think you're going to stump me on this one. So um, <laughs> my goal is your goal is to stump me. Uh, mm-hmm. Some applications for data strategy that we don't currently use. Um, or just that could go to the next level. Like, you know, maybe in the gas emergency example, it's just still in its infancy of getting it from seven steps to three, but maybe it could be one. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be avoided. Like what are some ways that maybe people are hesitant to take things to the next level, but it's like, it could be really impactful for their business if they would. Yeah. I mean, I think about uh, in the situation with the gas emergency and it goes from being a seven step process to maybe a five step process to a mobile process where mm-hmm. it's, you know, pinging the closest person to the outage or the emergency based on, uh, you know, an RFD chip or something like that, where, or Bluetooth, mm-hmm. where it's like telling this person you're closest, you know, by pinging something, um, you know, something that you just mentioned that I thought of was, uh, you know, we have uh, a lot of severe weather, you know, with the climate change and um, there might be a better way to, uh, use data strategy and analytics to relay um, information to people who are in the way of uh, a dangerous storm or a dangerous situation. And I I think about, you know, just kind of off the top of my head, you know, you still have to rely on TV a little bit to get weather information, thunderstorm warnings, tornado warnings, uh, hurricane warnings. And, you know, people might have some Twitter accounts. Like I know in Nashville, they have Nashville severe weather, which does a great job of, of uh, tracking storms. Uh, but, you know, they don't really have any other way to send out a broadcasted message uh, on a regular basis to protect people. So from the top of my head, I think that's one way that you could actually take analytics uh, and, and move it you know, a little, little faster, uh, to protect people. So I think avoiding any form of an emergency is good. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. um, especially if humans are involved and like an example I think of is like subway threats right now in New York. Like we've got yeah. just a lot of subway situations that happen that to an extent maybe could be tracked and predicted, mm-hmm. but it's still human. So there has to be an element of understanding human behavior and introducing that to the data that I think is, is something that just is going to be hard to be solved for. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can, I haven't even fully processed this idea before, but like Uber data, Uber eats data, like you can get a pretty good idea what people do, where they're going to be, especially if they are going to places they shouldn't be and doing things mm-hmm. they shouldn't be. And be able to avoid bad situations from that. But then you'd also don't want to over kind of estimate or predict a situation that isn't because then you just become, you know, a glass half Mm -hmm. empty person versus a glass half full. So I think there's a lot that can be done around that, that would help, you know, especially emergency responders to know what to do. Weather's easier, humans are harder. So finding a way to to be able to understand that and predict it things like 9-11 obviously we've we figured out ways to make sure that never happens again 
but yeah, yeah you never know well, what's next and you well, I think that it. yeah I think what you just hit on though is um you know humans are harder to predict than than the weather mm-hmm. but it's so funny because you'll read articles in in the local news or the national news of I mean you know a hurricane's coming you know there's the threat of severe weather for a tornado um you know well in advance and people still lose their life people mm-hmm. still lose their property and um you know, thinking about what you just said about, you know, working on a project with a, a very large theme park. Um, I know I visited a very large theme park um, very recently. And one thing I noticed uh, since we, we are doing some projects within Keller Schrader on, you know, analytics of recycling scrap and, and smelter analytics uh, from loss of product. And one thing I noticed was them putting the regular trash and the recycle together in the same bag. And one thing from an analytical standpoint, I thought it was like, well, I wonder how many of the um, housekeeping, um, the housekeeping division or program are doing the same thing throughout the entire, throughout the entire resort area. You know, I mean, what if they actually took the time to, to separate the recycle from the trash Would that like reduce their cost? Because, you know, they're probably getting charged when they don't have recycling inside the, the trash or when they have trash inside the recycling. So um, just stuff like that. I mean, where you, you're right. I mean, human error makes it hard. Even if you have the data that says we save money, if we don't have trash in our recycling, how do we get our housekeeping department or housekeeping staff to separate the trash? So. Yeah. Data, very powerful, but mm-hmm. only so powerful as you apply it. Yep. And you you use it and you're willing to be open to the true story it tells. I think that's that's where sometimes human error from a data analysis perspective can get misconstrued because you want the data to tell you the story you're already believing mm-hmm. instead of letting it tell you a story that is actually based on facts. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, um, you have to have people who are creating questionnaires or creating uh, the information that you're trying to curate. So uh, data quality and data curation are always the two uh, biggest uh, roadblocks to advanced analytics, because ultimately there's going to be a human involved somewhere to figure out how to get the data created, how to, how to curate the data and what you're looking for and picking the wrong data you know, could set you back or allow you to not be as successful as you would hope to be. So mm-hmm. that's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. I want to switch back to what you call salesology just a, a yes. little bit more. And um, just curious what you're learning in the audience that you sell to now, because I think you've sold to all kinds of different personas. Mm-hmm. So these folks that maybe are a little bit more technology adverse, a little more hesitant, Mm-hmm. And just cautious as they go to, you know, leveraging the power of data. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about how to approach those relationships and those folks and, and put them through the right sales process? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, um, you know, realizing that for the most part, you had to have a vendor partner to work with you um, on a project, whether it was uh, a security project um, you know, a network project, uh, something in the realm of virtualization. And 
knowing now I'm learning that they are a little bit more driven than I am, which is extremely hard for me to, to believe because I'm extremely driven, but you know, you're talking four or five times a year, end of quarters, end of years. I mean, they're really pushing for deals to get done. So it's really balancing. How do you approach your client to save them money versus maybe pestering them to the point of alienating them and losing the relationship? So from a salesology standpoint, you know, you really have to understand them and research them as an inner, as an inner person and understand their persona before you, you approach them with a, you know, uh, this is what I, I found within our last conversation from an opportunity standpoint. Uh, this is where I would like to proceed with, you know, this product or this group of products and, that's the biggest thing I've had to learn in moving from, uh, from a retail, um, from like a, a retail hospitality background is, uh, it's, it's just, it's a different way to approach business and a different way when you have to partner with a vendor for the majority of the time. So. That makes sense. So about your drive, uh, I know you've always got lots of things going mm-hmm. on and, um, always trying to, to build your own little James empire. Yeah. <laughs> what are some <laughs> of the things you're focused on right now that you're trying to make an impact in the world with? Um, you know, I'm really, I'm really focusing on this career with Keller Schrader at this point. Um, we are, we are definitely unique in the fact that we're an ESOP or an employee owned, um, employee owned company. So everybody who is an employee, not just, you know, obviously not a contractor, you know, has a piece of the puzzle. So not only do you have a responsibility for your position, your um, business unit, but you ultimately affect the bottom line with your decisions uh, of the company and the return on the company. Um, So really focused on um, Keller Schrader um, kind of, you know, trying to lead the charge in Nashville to build our brand awareness and our market development, uh, down here. Um, you know, on top of that, um, you know, we have a lot of people in our, in our, uh, stable of, uh, employee owners who focus on other projects. Uh, I still love to, to dabble in, uh, in music. Uh, mm-hmm. I still love to, to DJ from time to time. Yeah. Uh, I still love to, um, be on the soccer field and, and officiate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely love to do little, little side businesses, um, you know, little, little hobbies that turn into side businesses, uh, but mostly just focusing on Keller Schrader at this point and trying to, um, be the best entrepreneurial, uh, employee owner I could be. So. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Yes. Mm, so yeah. Or linchpin. I like that term. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um. Yeah. And, and, you know, focusing on, um, you know, I traveled a lot for the last three years in the, in the retail space, uh, in upper management and, um, you know, definitely, definitely, you know, being back home full time, um, you know, spending time uh, with the family and with friends has been, you know, amazing as well. So. That's awesome. I like it. Mm -hmm. Sounds all very fulfilling. It is very fulfilling. It's, um, it's probably, uh, the best it's really been in a long time. So, uh, it's really good. So that's awesome. 
I want to switch gears a little bit to principles now, and I would love to hear from you. What is a core principle that you've lived by to be successful in business? Um, I feel like, you know, every morning I get up and I always like to do a little, uh, a little meditation, a little, um, cross between spirituality and, and, um, you know, business building in my head. And one thing that I always thought of a, of a guiding principle and something that always kind of sticks to me is, you know, one of the, the Bible verses of the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. And for me, um, that just means not being complacent in pretty much all walks of life, um, whether it's, you know, being complacent professionally, being complacent personally, like always being there. Uh, for my fellow employee owners at Keller Schrader, uh, always being there for, you know, my wife and kids, um, just being, being a better person. And I feel like in the last year, I've really embraced that and, and made some changes personally and professionally. And, and uh, like I just said, you know, earlier, you know, it's best it's been in a long time. And uh, I feel very blessed at this point. So very cool. Well, James, thanks for coming on the show and sharing Thank you. Appreciate your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time. I appreciate you being open uh, to having me on the show. And uh, I look forward to our, our future conversations. So beautiful. Sounds good. We'll talk Thank to you. you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.